Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectation. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the word of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. During the month of September, we have been discovering the power of these disturbing stories that Jesus tells. I want you to look at the front of your bulletin and you will see a series of of five images. The first image helps us uh, understand or demonstrate that those who are in the first chair or powers of position and privilege are called to give up that position so that it opens the table for all of our neighbors and friends. That's what we spoke about the first week of this series. The second image there demonstrates or helps us recognize that the cost of discipleship is a journey. And that it will often lead us into a new understanding and a new person that we are. That that cost is becoming something different than we were when we started the journey. This middle picture is an image of comfort and security. And in it we recognize how the shepherd goes after the single lost sheep. You and I. And it helps us to remember that we were once lost but now we're found. That fourth image there is what we will be talking about today. It's about a parable that is among some of the most disturbing that Jesus has ever offered, and it has left Christians baffled for generations. I'm going to read that to you this morning. It's found in Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. I want you to listen closely now to what the evangelist has to say to us. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking my position away from me. I am not strong enough to dig a a ditch, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their house. So summoning, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he asked, he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of the light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when I am gone, they may welcome you into their eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have been faithful with the dishonest wealth, 
Who will entrust you with their true riches? And if you have been faithful with what belongs to another, have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you are like me, you may be sitting there wondering, holy cow, what in the world can this disturbing story possibly tell me about God? or about people, or about the relationship between God and people. Some of the best theologians throughout all of history have chosen to pass over this particular uh, parable. And instead of digging in and constructing some kind of good news out of what seems so odd and story. Even the evangelist Luke seems to be a bit uncomfortable with Jesus' story, and so at the end of that passage, he tacks on some lessons that we might learn from it, offering up that if we are responsible in the little things, we will also be responsible in the big things. And then laying on the line an eternal truth that no one can serve two masters, that we will not do well by doing that. Even the great theologian from the 4th century, St. Augustine of Hippo, actually wrote these words, I can't believe this story came from the lips of our Lord. Like so many of Jesus' challenges to us, this one can have and take on a different meaning depending on the day in which we read it. Perhaps uh, we have just gone through a job loss, and when we do that, we might hear the predicament of the manager with a different light and a different tone. Perhaps we have been accused justly or unjustly of something, and so when we encounter this particular parable, we hear it in one way over another. And so as I was looking at this parable, the one thing that kept sticking out to me was this notion of shrewdness. What at first might seem like a manager that got caught in dishonest bookkeeping practices turns into a desperate act of business savvy, and it catches the attention of his rich boss. And then Jesus says this most bizarre thing at the end of this story. He says, for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with the children of this generation than the children of the light. I find Jesus' parables to fall into two types of categories. The first one might end with our response to go and do likewise, like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then there are those who fall into another type of category that might be uh, characterized by how much more. In this particular character, characterization, uh, if this dishonest manager can use the shrewdness of the world to open up a future for himself, how much more then can we as Christians use our savvy in the world, our shrewdness, to make the kingdom of God visible for others? If we can use our worldly savvy, our creative mind space, 
and use these same principles that we use in business to make it successful, then how much more could we do it so that we can make the kingdom of God visible for this generation? I was thinking about this and thinking about the ways that churches have encountered struggling times. And I found two examples in our North Texas annual conference of Methodist churches that have indeed used this innovative and more savvy approach to change what's going on in their life. The first one is a White Rock United Methodist Church. It was a declining urban church uh, in Dallas around 2012. They were a congregation that at one time had worshipped thousands of people on Sunday morning. And then over time, as the congregation grew older and people moved away from a changing neighborhood, they began to decline themselves. And they found themselves taking care of an oversized building filled with maintenance and utility bills. And the upkeep was enormous and uh, devastating to them for a time that was only four hours a week. They were desperate. And they were ready to do whatever it took to make a change so that they did not lose their beloved church. So they got innovative. They pulled their minds together and they got their creative, innovative thinking going and they formed partnerships with people in the community. They took their fellowship hall, their kitchen and the classrooms in that area, They renovated them, and then they turned them over to a co-working environment, a place where people who are entrepreneurs could find space, either temporarily or long-term, that would afford them an opportunity to uh, host meetings, either in private or in a larger setting. Artists had space in order to... uh, 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 have studio space in order to do their art. The kitchen was renovated into a commercial-type kitchen so that cooking and industry could take place out of the kitchen. Even uh, some of the rooms were turned into small factories for sewing uh, people and people that had businesses of the sort. Now, each one of these leasees were vetted. They were vetted so that the entrepreneur and the mission of the, of the um, business that they were running would align with the mission of the church. They were also vetted so that these people would give good back into the community, not self, selfish gain, but give back into the community. This shrewd business venture gave new life to this church. It gave it a new sense of uh, purpose, and it became alive and healthy again. Once once it was kind of this dark church on a street corner in that neighborhood, now it's lively and cars are there every day. It is busting at the seams. This congregation began to grow, and now they have given birth to even more uh, innovative partnerships, like a classroom co-op where they make um, instructional and classroom purchases available to teachers so that they don't have to purchase them for themselves. Now, that's a church. They still worship traditionally on Sunday morning. 
they still do the things that makes them the conventional kind of church. On the other hand, there's this other church in the North Texas Annual Conference who does not go by the name of church at all. It is called the Union Coffee Dallas, and it is home to a coffee shop and a food truck. And it is out of this coffee shop and the food truck that the leaders are engaging in ministry with young professionals who have left the church or never came to the church in the first place. They don't do things traditionally, but they meet the people where they are and they engage them exactly where they are. Now, these are just two United Methodist responses to this question. How much more could we as Christians engage others in the good news of Jesus if we were shrewd in dealing with the children of this generation? (coughs) Friends, Jesus is talking to his disciples in this passage. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to the church. And according to Luke... He is offering a challenge at the same time he is offering a warning. You see, at the same time that we are invited to engage in ministry in creative and innovative ways with our community, we are also challenged that we should continue to do the things that make us Christian, the things that God has tasked the church to do. That is to... Uh, be hospitable, serve our neighbors, celebrate the sacraments, and proclaim the gospel. Kelly and I have completed our listening tours. We have sat and had coffee with many of you in, in people's homes and here at the church. We have been delighted to hear about the things that you love about this congregation in this community. We have heard of your hopes and your dreams and the things that, that have meaning and hold meaning to you. We have heard how this congregation has been there for you during times of struggle and times of, of uh, need. And so we are now time to move into the next question. What more would Jesus be asking us to be as the church, the downtown church indicator. What more is Jesus asking us to do and to be as the disciples, as the Christ in this community? I don't know the answer to these questions. I don't even know exactly what the right questions are because I'm just getting to know you and our ministry together. But I am so looking forward to doing that very hard work of discerning that. Here is what I do know. Jesus will continue to challenge us to move outside of our comfort zone. Jesus will continue to task us with finding creative ways to engage people who have either left the church or have never even entered the church. It is up to you and I to listen, to listen to where Jesus is calling us, to listen to those disturbing stories around us, to feel uncomfortable at times, but yet to be faithful in the small things so that we can be faithful in the big things. Let's look back at our bulletin cover. Let's look at that fourth image. In this image, 
we see a little boy who bends to tie the shoes of another. We don't know if he has just learned how to tie shoes and he's excited to share his new skill, or if he is simply passing on an act of kindness. We don't know if the shoe that he is tying is his friends or his parents or a sibling, or if it is the shoe of a stranger that cannot do it for themselves. We don't know much by looking just at this picture, except we know this. He is indeed using his skill and his God-given ability to help another person. How much more could we as the Decatur Methodist family do with our God-given resources and influence to realize the kingdom of God in our midst? Friends, I believe that the only limitation to us realizing an active and thriving and vibrant church every single day of the week, including on Sunday morning, the only obstacle that stands in our way is ourselves. I'm excited about entering the hard work of shrewdly addressing the possibilities to see where God is leading us. Won't you join me in that task? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.